G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Uh, When we talk about latest developments, are we talking about new breakthroughs? Are we talking about things that people are embarrassed to talk about because uh, there are scientific developments that somehow or other have no answers? When we talk about latest developments, what are we talking about in this particular huge debate on uh, creation evolution? Yeah, well, both those. uh, There are discoveries being made every day which actually just shout at us that things were created. They didn't just make themselves. And um, there are a lot of people in denial about it. Uh, And usually you don't hear too much coming out from the scientific community saying, oh, yeah, we've got a problem here. But there are cracks and there are people who are admitting, uh, you know, secular scientific universities and so on, a few people admitting we really don't know. We don't know how these things come about. And evolution, the idea that mutation is natural selection, neo-Darwinism or the modern synthesis, they call it, it doesn't work. It does not explain what's being discovered. Well, even when you uh, understand the idea that there is Darwinism and then there's a new expression called neo-Darwinism, doesn't that indicate in itself that because you have to try and reinvent uh, what you were saying, that somehow or other there was problems with the first model? Well, I mean, the original Darwinism had nothing about mutations. <clears throat> so uh, that was the neo-Darwinism, was adding mutations to the story uh, to uh, uh, try and explain the origin of the new information that has to be explained to explain how a, how a microbe can change into a, a microbiologist. And so this is the 1920s, basically, when, when mutations were discovered and the genetics were starting to be un- un- understood to some extent. This is before DNA was discovered. And uh, and so uh, that was neo-Darwinism. So now the people today, some people are saying that we need a new, new Darwinism. So there's going to be a neo-Neo-Darwinism. Or, or the 1920s thing was called also the modern synthesis. That was the other way that referred to it as well. Well, some people might argue that, of course, there's going to be change, there's going to be development as there are new discoveries that prove evolutionary theory to be true. Uh, of course, there are going to be these new developments. Uh, what is your response to the idea that uh, that there is a constant search going on and there is change taking place and, and uh, what was thought beforehand is now being replaced with new ideas? Oh, absolutely. New ideas all the time. That's the wonderful thing. But the new ideas aren't stacking up for the evolutionary idea. Uh, that's the problem. And uh, and so uh, things like the ENCODE project, uh, which was published two years ago, a uh, massive project where they uh, uh, there were 40, 440 scientists, 32 institutes forming over 1,600 experiments over a number of years uh, in a number of different countries. And they published a series of papers in Nature and other places, and they're still publishing material from this. And basically they looked at all the human DNA. Uh, they, they carved it up and sort of gave a different lab a different section to look at because it's huge, 3,000 million letters of information on the human DNA. So you can imagine 
trying to work out what all this does. And so they gave it little segments to each lab and said, you know, have a look at this, do this, do this, do, do these various tests and see whether it's doing something. Because the dogma has been from evolution that nearly all the human DNA was actually functionless. It was junk. It was not needed. It was just, you know, leftovers of our evolutionary ancestry. And uh, this is a direct outcome of evolutionary thinking and trying to apply it to science. And it doesn't fit. And the, uh, the idea is there must be lots of junk DNA for three reasons. One is, well, mutations can't create full function. That's impossible. There must be lots of junk because that's what mutations are just accidental changes. So there can't be 100% functionality. That's ridiculous. Number two, uh, there has to be lots of junk uh, because there has to be lots of space for the mutations to work in to actually create this supposed new information. So there has to be lots of stuff that doesn't matter where mutations can experiment, if you like, and it doesn't actually affect you, you see. And then suddenly these things become uh, functional down the track. And another reason why there has to be lots of junk DNA is that mutations are known. They know that most of them are, are slightly detrimental and there's lots of them. But if you have uh, all the human DNA, or if most of it was functional, and you have all these mutations occurring, they're all slightly detrimental, you can't get rid of them. And so they accumulate. And so if they're all slightly detrimental, we're slightly deteriorating every generation. So we've got something like 60 to 100 new mutations, each person, each generation, and they're slightly detrimental. And so how can you get rid of them? You can't. So they have to accumulate. So they said, well, okay, if 98% of the DNA was junk, it doesn't matter. 98% of those mutations, in other words, 98 out of the 100, don't matter. You've only got two that really matter, and they're only slightly detrimental. And so... Because you have several children, you might have eight, ten children in the past, uh, you might have one or two kids that miss out on any of those new mutations. And so you can keep the genetic purity of the human human race or lions or tigers or any any other organism like this that have a, a big DNA. And so they had this huge amount of junk DNA was necessary for evolution. Ah, what happens when it's not junk? Okay, so there's a definition issue here because uh, if you consider it junk, you can uh, you can uh, uh, call that uh, part of an evolutionary theory and the way that things have accidentally come together. But if it's not junk at all and it's there intentionally, it's you've a got a problem. It's a huge problem for evolution mm. on three mm. threefold three counts. It's a huge problem for evolution. Okay, so well, the ev- so the evolutionists have been fighting a a rearguard action against the science. They hate this stuff, and they've been blogging about it, and there's even been a recent study trying to undo the implications of this because this study, the, the ENCODE project, found that uh, at least 80% of the human DNA was doing something, and the people involved with it said probably 100% because what they looked at was 147 cell types in the human body, and there's thousands of cell types. And so what they f- found is that the DNA in one particular cell is active in certain areas and other cells, other parts are active. And so 147 cell types gives 80% that's doing something. If you've had thousands of cell types, they're suggesting that probably 100% is doing something. Let's take a call from Lee in Camerweel in Queensland. Hello, Lee. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Great to hear from you, Lee. What's your contribution to this conversation today? May I make a comment now? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, of course, Don's here listening in too. Yes, uh, Dr Don, I think, isn't it? Yes, it is, yes, Dr Don Batten. Yes, right. 
Well, I was an atheist for 35 years, and I used Jesus' name as a swear word, um, and I'm trained in chemistry. Yeah. And that some of that evolutionary belief training came through that chemistry course, and others just through my stupidity. And, uh, if there's somebody witnessing to people with degrees or college education and they want to, to reach them quicker, I, uh, I would recommend the approach that we just give them evidence. And uh, the, the simple kind of evidence that helped me, Neil, was when somebody said, hey, we're getting prayer answered at church, you should come. And, of course, not having had any prayer answered myself and never really run any, running into other people who've had prayer answered, I was very sceptical. However, I thought, now, if they're right, I'm definitely wrong. I better check this out. <laughs> Yes. And uh, having checked it out for six weeks, I uh, gave my heart to the Lord. And uh, it was just some simple evidence that God was answering prayer. I think it kind of, for me, it beats all the theological uh, uh, theory. It is so refreshing to hear your insight there, Lee, because there are a whole bunch of different dimensions on which our Christianity stands very strong. And, of course, when we deal with this issue of science, we're talking creation and evolution, and there is a scientific worldview. And when we have this opportunity to be able to address these things, uh, I can hear a train going past in the background there. Uh, when we have an opportunity to address these things on that level, of course, uh, we're going to be talking on those levels of that argument. But you're talking about a whole issue of the supernatural, and uh, that is the answer to prayer and the way that God uh, can break into our circumstances and uh, have his way in uh, the answer of prayer and sometimes that comes uh, in the way that people are healed from their sicknesses and all sorts of miraculous things that happen. So, Lee, uh, I can hear what you're saying. There are some other dimensions that really impact on our lives and belief can be born in our heart according to God's answers to our prayer. Uh, you were talking about chemistry, so you're aware of the sorts of things we're talking about today here with uh, Dr. Don Batten. Right. We're trained to uh, accept and work with facts. And if there's no evidence, no proof in chemistry, you can forget about it altogether. Uh, but a pastor of mine had a very simple little approach to the same thing. He said, if we're walking along a track and we found three stones, one on top of the other, we'd say, ah, somebody's been here and they put those stones together. Exactly. But if yeah. we worked a bit, walked a bit further and found a mango tree with mangoes on it, we wouldn't even think that somebody like God has made a mango tree and put mangoes on because it can't do it by itself. <laughs> Neither can the three stones hop one on top of the other by themselves. Yep. That's so just some simple things that uh, I just want to see the whole world saved, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That's Amen. Good. Amen. Yeah. And God, God, God actually reaches out to people in many different ways, and uh, but ultimately it's a relationship with him. And that comes about when we realize he's real. And uh, you know, Romans 1 says that he's revealed himself in the creation. That's what we're talking about here is the, the created order actually shows us there is a creator. Yes. And then uh, he says, calls us actually to call upon him, to reach out to him, and we'll find him. And that's that personal dimension. And, uh, and we can see God operating in today's world through answers to prayer. So it all goes together. 
Thank, thank you, Dr. And Lee, I always come back to uh, the most significant event of history. And of course, Jesus, when he died on the cross mm. on the third day, he rose again. Yep. And uh, I often talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the grounds for all miracles. Yes, uh, this is the one. We believe that one, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Then we can believe that miracles are happening. And, and you're talking about answers to prayer and miraculous things that uh, show us that God God is God, and uh, and uh, we don't have to question Him. We believe on Him, and it comes mm. back to that uh, that resurrection from the dead, the grounds of all miracles. So, yes, indeed, um, I agree totally. Lee, appreciate your input today here on Twenty Twenty. I think you, as a uh, as a uh, person trained in chemistry, you're going to enjoy our conversation through the rest of the hour. So, great to have you along with us. We'll catch up with you soon. God bless you, Doctor Don and Neil. Yeah, God bless. You God bless you, Lee. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to be part of our conversation today. As I said earlier, no holds barred. Whatever that burning question might be that you've always wanted to hear an answer to, your opportunity today to have uh, your say, 1-800-316-316. Dr. Don Batten, our guest. Don, uh, before we go to a break, let's uh, talk about some of the other things. We've been talking about uh, the latest developments in the creation-evolution debate. Uh, one of those called the Altenburg 16 meeting. Now, this dates back to uh, the late 2000s. Uh, why is it significant that we'd be talking about the Altenburg 16? Well, there were 16 evolutionists who met together in Austria, and uh, th- these were high-profile people, uh, but they were people who were willing to uh, be a bit questioning about things and so they met together to discuss what they saw was a crisis in evolutionary theory and the crisis is that what was being discovered even in 2008 just doesn't fit the idea that mutations and natural selection could create it and so the meeting was about that now these people all believed in evolution that is everything made itself there's no need for god so they're on the page there in terms of the secular mindset Uh, but they were willing to actually question whether the mechanism for this was adequate, and they came to the conclusion it's not. And so uh, the book, actually, on this, it's called uh, The Altenberg 16, an expose of the evolution industry, written by Susan Muzzer, who's actually an evolutionist herself, who who attended the meeting, and uh, the book is a mind-blowing expose on the whole issue. And it shows that there are people who are actually facing up to the evidence that things didn't make themselves by mutations, natural selection. Now, these people are looking for another concept of evolution, some other way of thinking about it, which could explain how these things could come to be without God. So before we go to a break, when you hear of robust scientific debate in the evolutionist community uh, because people are disagreeing with one another, it means that there's huge disagreement because not all the evidence stacks up. Correct. But these disagreements tend to be uh, happening behind closed doors, not in the public. So this actually sort of leaked out into the public through the book. And uh, and so I want to talk about another one, which is more recent, uh, where a, a columnist in Nature uh, spilt the beans on the whole thing and uh, 
and then the, the uh, industry went into overdrive to try and shut the down, shut down the debate. It's Neil with you, our special guest this hour on 2020, Dr Don Batten from Creation Ministries. We are talking about the latest developments in the creation-evolution debate. And it seems to be we're talking a lot about the evidences for uh, the uh, science, uh, which everybody works with the same science, don't they? And uh, and so uh, let me just ask you, Don Batten, uh, on the 60th anniversary of the discovery of the structure of DNA, uh, science writer Dr. Philip Ball wrote an article in Nature, and uh, you began to talk about this just before the break. Uh, one of his quotes is, we do not fully understand how evolution works at the molecular level. How important is it to uh, understand what he's saying in that statement? Well, this is uh, you know, getting down to the nitty-gritty about how it actually works. So you've got this, m- most people sort of have seen the, the, the helical structure, double helix of the DNA, but you know, how does that work? What is it, how does it make proteins and how does it make bodies and how does it make, you know, you take a single cell uh, human embryo and it develops into trillions of cells uh, with all the different functions in our bodies. How does the DNA control all that? And that's what we're talking about when you get down to how does it actually work. That's the molecular level. Uh, and how does it make proteins? How does it decide which protein to make where and uh, how many and how much and uh, what sequence? Because a lot of things have to be made in the correct sequence. So it's not just a matter of making a protein. It has to be made at the right time and in order with other things. How's all that controlled? And this is, be- this is what's been discovered in the so-called junk DNA. Uh, is the, the these uh, programs? In fact, they talk about switches. In fact, the Encode project talked about millions of switches, and you can imagine a computer network with uh, all sorts of things. If this happens, then this should happen. If that happens, and this happens, then this should happen. That's what's going on, and it's been likened to a, a computer program or computer operating system like Linux or uh, uh, or Microsoft uh, Windows or something like that. And in fact, incredibly sophisticated operating system. And you, can you can you imagine any sort of operating system coming about by some sort of accidents? You know, it doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. Mm. Well, uh, listeners can be part of our conversation today, and uh, and at risk of talking about things that may be going over our heads, uh, because I'm not a scientist, and so with some of this sort of thing difficult to understand. But uh, as I say, really appreciate, Don, your ability to put these things into a simple understanding because uh, these things are particularly important. Uh, For listeners tuning in, uh, you might like to be a part of our conversation. You might even like to direct our conversation in a way that answers a question that might be a burning question that you've always wanted to ask. You can call us on 1-800-316-316. That's our talkback line open now on 1-800-316-316. Don, while we're talking on this topic, uh, molecular level and uh, DNA, uh, this terminology, epigenetics, uh, how important is it to understand that this is like a new development on, on the way you understand these things? Uh, yeah, epigenetics, epi means above and genetics, above genetics. So it's, it's going so the DNA is one thing, but they're finding that the stuff sort of outside the DNA, which actually modifies how the DNA works. And... Uh, when this was originally discovered, it's quite a, a mind-blowing thing because they found that some of this stuff which is inherited. So it was thought the only thing which is inherited, passed on to your children, is the DNA. But they're finding that this epigenetics, the stuff which is, isn't actually in the letters of the DNA, actually is, is also passed on. And the incredible thing is that the environment you live in, what you eat, how you live, what you drink, 
um, how you live, what you think, all sorts of stuff can affect the epigenetics. And so the, the environment can actually affect your children through you. Your environment you live in can affect your children. Uh, for example, uh, they've done experiments on, on uh, mice where you have, feed them up heaps of stuff and make them fat, and, they, and their offspring will tend to be fat. Uh, and the, the, they found the changes in the actual epigenetics are actually involved in this. And no actual change in the letters of DNA, but the way in which the DNA is expressed has been changed. So this is epigenetics they talk about. And that's a big problem for evolution because it, it's not... These epigenetic changes, they can persist for a number of generations, but they don't persist forever. So they cloud the whole thing in terms of whether natural selection can select things. Okay, let me lead you on uh, because you wrote an article just recently about this whole topic uh, dealing with uh, uh, these issues of molecular uh, biology. Uh, Dennis Noble, uh, Oxford University, he presented a paper where he set out to show that all the central assumptions of the modern synthesis, uh, also called neo-Darwinism, have been disproved. Now, let me just ask you about that, because uh, while we've been talking about scientists arguing with one another in what we could call a robust debate all about the evidence, yep. uh, what is this sort of thing saying when you've got uh, uh, well-known people like Dennis Noble uh, saying these things are disproved? Yeah, well, he's president of the International Union of Physiological Sciences. That's, you know, basic biology. And uh, he's saying that neo-Darwinism's dead. Now, he still believes in evolution. That is, everything made itself without a creator, uh, right? But he's saying that the, the understanding that's been pushed on us for generations, that this explains everything, doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, this might be, uh, new, well, it's, well, it's new to everyone listening in because uh, perhaps we've not discussed uh, evolution and creation at this level before where we've talked about the latest developments, the latest things that people are arguing, and and you're actually using uh, the uh, quotes and the papers of people who are evolutionists to show that uh, there is a real crisis in evolution. Yeah, uh, I mean, is this something that uh, when you start to talk about this, people start to ask questions? Uh, if you're doing a seminar or whatever, uh, how do you actually start to communicate this that there is a crisis in the way that evolutionists are thinking? Yeah, well, that's one of the problems because. People think, well, everybody believes this. It must be true. Uh, but the thing is, that, and it's actually here, um, Philip Ball commented about the lack of willingness to face up the implications of the evidence. He, quote, there may also be anxiety that admitting any uncertainty about the mechanisms of evolution will be exploited by those who seek to undermine it. Yep, like me. <laughs> okay, you're doing exactly that. Okay. I'm doing exactly that. So this is why this is one of the reasons why people are mum about it. They keep quiet about it because they. Well, there's another reason too, and that is that if you step out and say there's something wrong with it, your name is going to be mud in academic circles. And uh, the documentary Expelled actually documents a number of people who lost their jobs in academia because they dared to question the evolutionary paradigm. And then the ABC, our ABC our taxpayer-funded national broadcaster weighed in on it and they interviewed a number of Australian academics who probably were hand-picked to make sure they did the right things. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they were stoically holding the fort. They're, no, there's nothing wrong, you know. No, no, we everything's fine in the camp. 
some even suggested the public should not be told of the complexity that's being discovered. Uh, that would be a deceptive thing, would it not? Yeah, well, people might get confused and think evolution doesn't work. You know, we can't have that. (laughs) It's Neil with you on 2020. Dr. Don Batten, our guest this hour, Creation Ministries. Uh, We are talking about the latest developments in the creation-evolution debate, an interesting conversation that you can be a part of on 1-800-316-316. Don, let's take another call. Barbara is in Broken Hill in New South Wales. Hello, Barbara. Welcome along to 2020. Barbara, are you with us? Yes. Barbara, Dr. Don Batten is with us. What's your uh, question or do you have a comment about the discussion today on developments in creation and evolution? Well, I have a comment and a question. Good. Fire away. Oh, right. I don't believe in evolution. Um, All these so-called brilliant-minded scientists keep saying and like you say the ABC and and uh, it doesn't matter where where you put your radio on or your television on we get it um, drummed into us about evolution now here's the questions I would like to ask actually I would like the creation scientists to get up and start uh, banging the media about with these type of questions. Number one, when have they had proof in the last 2,000 years of any type apes, gorillas, orangutans, monkeys, whatever you call it, of morphing into a human being? Not only that, when have they got the proof that a fish uh, developed a leg from a fin and came out of the water and started walking around? Um, That, I think, would be quite some good questions to ask them. Let's put those questions to Dr Don Batten. Uh, Don, uh, these are the sorts of questions people need to be asking. Do you have to be specially qualified to ask those questions? Yes. Well, no, no um, and a lot of them are just fairly straightforward. Uh, and, and, of course, we, we're out there doing that. We produce Creation Magazine, which goes all around the place. We have a website. We uh, produce uh, documentaries. We've got a fantastic documentary called uh, Evolution's Achilles Heels, and an uh, hour-and-a-half documentary, 15 PhD scientists. It's very understandable to, to ordinary people. But uh, we, about, we just we're what about question and answer like yeah well we on TV yeah well you got you got, you, got, you got to get on TV that's the trouble you've oh, got to get yeah. on TV see so mm. uh, the problem is <clears throat> say our ABC for example don't won't give anybody any airplay that's going yes, to present I know. you know so. Uh, and, and our taxes pay for this. You know. uh, we're talking here, uh, Barbara, I think we're talking about the prevailing worldview, which appears to be uh, evolutionary inclined, which means that people who've got a Christian worldview and want to talk about creation are not seen as being very credible. That's, uh, of course, the sorts of things we're talking about today uh, show that there is a lot of credibility in the debate that refutes evolution. Don, uh, this yeah. credibility issue is one of those things that the church has got to work on. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so and there are many, many PhD scientists around the world who believe the Bible and believe that we're created and don't accept the evolutionary story at all and, uh, and a growing number. Um, but it's very difficult to get any airplay on the secular media to actually present a, a case for this. And so uh, we're limited at that present by one by one on one. So people like you sharing with other people mm-hmm. um, and we're, preside- we're providing the resources for people to be able to do that. For example, we have a little brochure called 15 Questions for Evolutionists. And that's a, 15 of the best questions to put to evolutionists to actually put them on the spot and say, how does your story answer these questions? That it really doesn't answer these questions. And, no. uh, and some of the things are like you're talking about. I mean, how can accidental changes called mutations you know, change a worm into a human or a microbe into a human or, or a worm into a fish or any of these things? Is there any evidence that could happen? No. They, they point to some scrappy fossils here and there. I mean, you talk about a fish becoming a, a land creature, growing legs from flippers and things. And uh, so they have this... <laughs> A sequence of fossils they claim shows this, but when you look at it, it doesn't stack up. I mean, in fact, they've even found footprints which are older than the supposed uh, uh, footprints of a land creature, which are older than the supposed ancestors which became a land creature, <laughs> according to their own dating. You know, so I mean, the story doesn't stack up, and uh, that's what we're we're there actually presenting that evidence, showing people so that kids in school, students in university, don't have to get. Um, uh, don't have to think this must be true because these experts are saying so. They know that they're being uh, they're being uh, tricked basically into believing something which isn't true. Yeah, the same as carbon dating. They reckon they can carbon date, and it really hasn't been proved. And then they're talking about the world being millions and billions of years old. Yeah, um, all of it is just uh, in their mind. Well, um, it's in their mindset and it's a whole way of thinking because uh, the whole idea of the millions and billions of years came about a couple of hundred years ago when people, again, didn't want to believe God created things. And so they imagined if you had enough time, things could just change one thing into the other. You know, and, and this is what they imagined. And they imagined time was the hero of the plot. Time was the creator. And so they needed lots and lots of time. And that's where it came from. And and you mentioned carbon dating. There's lots of methods that use for supposed dating, but carbon dating itself is actually very interesting because carbon dating actually only works on things that are thousands of years old to the extent that it does work. And the fact that you can carbon date even dinosaur fossils, for example, which are supposed to be at least 65 million years old, are carbon dated as thousands of years old. You take coal samples, some of them are supposed to be hundreds of millions of years old, carbon dates at thousands of years. So if they believe their dating systems, why don't they believe the carbon dates? They don't because it doesn't yeah. fit the belief system. And so what we're talking about here is a belief system rather than hard science. And that's what we that's our ministry, Creation Ministries International is involved well, it, in it, helping people understand these things. It, my son-in-law, you can't even have a, a good conversation with him as far as this goes because he says, evolution's been proved. It's been proved and that's it. You know, and uh, this is where I can't see that it has been proved. Well, it hasn't been, but people who don't want to believe there's a creator, don't want to believe that Jesus uh, did what he did on the cross and died for us and so on, people who don't want to believe that have to believe some sort of evolution or not think about it at all. Some people do that. 
And Richard Dawkins, a well-known atheist, he said that evolution enables him to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. So for the atheist, evolution is the only game in town. And so what you're talking about here is exactly that. The guy doesn't want to believe, so he has to believe in evolution. So to him, it's got to be a fact. Barbara from Broken Hill, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316 is our number. You can be a part of our conversation. Don, let me just take you back to uh, what we were talking about a little earlier, and that is the idea of having more Christians uh, enrolled in science courses in university to be able to uh, refute the sorts of things that we might be seeing uh, when it comes to the arguments in this debate. Uh, let me ask you, uh, first of all, are there enough Christians studying science at university? Well, I would say no. We want lots more. And the question that follows on from that is that are parents actually afraid that when their teenagers are moving into uh, science levels uh, in university, that they may well uh, discover that evolution might be true and uh, lose their faith. I'm sure that's a factor, uh, but it's not necessary to think like that. And I believe real knowledge actually just shouts at us creation. Now, in the first year at university particularly, there's a lot of uh, effort to try and inculcate evolution into students but someone who's prepared before they go and knows what they believe, and I must say, if they're a Christian before they go, if they're actually converted, not actually... See, a lot of people go to church with mum and dad, you know, and they go through the youth group and they're you know, involved in everything, but they're not actually converted. And these people go to university and they can be vulnerable because they're just open to all the unbelief that's there. But someone who actually is saved actually knows Jesus as Lord and Saviour and has that personal experience. They can go to university with confidence because they know what they believe. But more than that, you can use our material, Creation Ministries International, our material, for example, to get educated about these things before you go. So you know what you know what to expect and you know what the some of the answers are. And we had a young guy in, in Melbourne contact us and said, you guys rock. Wow, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you wanted to hear, wasn't it? You guys rock. I said, well, he said, well, he said, I just aced my VCE. That's the Victorian equivalent of the final year's exams, you know, the uh, high, st- high yep. school certificate. And he said, I just aced my biology. He said, I, I topped the school. And he says, because of you guys. He's in the secular public school. Mm. He said, I topped biology because I understand evolution better than the evolutionists. And that is, uh, it appears to me, the way when I talk to creationists like yourself, uh, you understand the science, you understand the philosophy, and therefore that is the case, uh, that as Christians we can understand evolution better than the evolutionists do. Uh, Not to mention the fact that as a resource, when people go to creation.com, you guys have something like 8,000 plus Uh, fully searchable articles on all aspects of creation and evolution, and it becomes a tremendous resource for people, a bit of a backup that gives you confidence to be able to approach any issue. Yeah, absolutely, and there's hundreds of videos as well. In fact, there's heaps of one-minute videos. Everybody's got time for one minute. So get on there and share them with people. You know, look at something and say, (laughs) one minute, you know. I mean, someone sends me a video, it's 10 minutes, and I don't have 10 minutes. But you've got one minute, haven't you? Everybody's got one minute. You can one watch minute. a video for you one minute. You can fill in a little time for one minute. Yeah. Uh, you could do that even right now. Our special guest, Dr. Don Batten from Creation Ministries. Let's take another call. Let's hear from Mary in Bathurst in New South Wales. Hello, Mary. Welcome along to 2020. 
Oh, hi. How are you? Very well. Mary, what's your contribution to our conversation? Um, I was just listening to your discussion on evolution and that, um, and about science. I mean, science, science actually proves that there is no evolution. Um, and this proves that there is evolution. So, you know, for people to say that, um, you know, evolution is true, that, you know, we evolved from something, um, is, is, is quite false. I mean, there, you can't cross boundaries between species. The boundaries are there. I mean, they say, oh, well, you know, you know, you can cross a horse with a donkey. Yes, but you won't get something that will reproduce into a mule. It's, it stops dead there. So to, to cross something like a distinct species like an ape and a human, which are two totally different species, you just can't do it. And there's scientific proof that shows you can't do it. Um, yeah. You know, even Darwin's theory was disproved. Hmm. Um, Mary, yeah. let's hear, let's hear uh, Don's comments on what you're saying. Yeah, well, the Bible the Bible talks about God creating different yeah. kinds of things, and uh, and of course, there's an ape kind and a human kind and a horse kind, and uh, yeah. and uh, we would say that the horse kind would include donkeys and horses together. They're both de- derived from the original horse kind that God created, but you're not going to you, you can't cross a horse you can cross a horse and a donkey, which indicates that they were a part of the original created kind, yeah. but you can't cross a horse and a cow because they are distinctly different created kinds. Exactly. So that's what you're exactly. talking about, exactly. And so, but, um, yeah, so this this is actually something that everybody knows. People produce people, dogs produce dogs, horses produce horses. Nobody's ever observed and something produce something yeah. even slightly different to its own kind. See, the thing is, though, people, what they do is is they... They listen to something. Say, yeah, yeah, that's right. But they're not using their logic. They're yeah. not finding out is this true. They just sort of go along with it. You know that that lady that was on before who said you know she can't have a a conversation with her son-in-law. I suppose one way of of, of saying something to him would be, you know, you have very strong opinions on things you, you know that you know that you know are factual. I'm sure that you would not have. Uh, an opinion on something that you didn't have all the facts for, you know, that you weren't absolutely sure that that was right. And and that can sort of get him thinking. Yeah, or, you, know, yeah you have to try and get people right. have to try and get people thinking, that's for sure. Yeah. Mary from Bathurst, great hearing from you, and uh, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Let's hear from Craig in Horsham. Hello, Craig. Welcome along. Hello. Craig, uh, what's your contribution to our conversation today? Yeah, uh, just I've rang you before, just uh, basically about you know the um, you know good morals. You know, I heard um, Mandy talking last night about Tony Abbott, how you know our leaders that have got good morals, you know, like Tony Abbott and um, uh, Robert Bernard is another one, the Liberal senator over in uh, Adelaide, mm-hmm. South Australia, how they get um, ridiculed and you know, for their beliefs and, you know, it's regarding the um, gays, you know, the, you know, Romans 1. I heard Bob talking about Romans 1. I just got a, um, you know, the the fear, the fear of God, what Mandy said last night is Psalm 111.10, you know, it's not fearing God, it's just having reverence and respect. And um, I just uh, 
had a thing down here written by an alert moderator, you know, regarding, you know, creation, you know, marriages between a man and a woman, not between two females or two males. If you believe these radical groups that homosexuals and lesbians are allowed union, then there is no such thing as Christian religion. Okay, you're bringing out some very important points here, Craig, because yeah. what you believe about creation actually determines the way you think about a whole range of issues. Uh, let's hear from Don Batten uh, on this, because uh, this is this is an important element of understanding the uh, book of Genesis, because if it is history and if it is God's revelation to us, we think entirely different about these issues mm. that we're talking about here that Craig is raising. Exactly, because uh, in in the beginning God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, that was the basis of marriage, a man and a woman. And uh, the man was to leave his family and cleave to his wife. And uh, Jesus actually quoted from Genesis in reference to marriage. He said, in, in, do you know at the beginning God made them male and female? And uh, and so he's talking in this context of divorce, that, uh, that God meant a man and a woman to stay together. Uh, for their lifetime marriage. And uh, so, yes, this is the base of marriage, actually begins in Genesis. Craig from Horsham, thank you so much for your contribution today on 2020. It flows into every area of our lives, uh, Don, Uh, everything that we believe, because uh, basically if we believe that God is creator, we think along the lines of uh, how God has revealed himself, uh, which takes us through a journey into the Bible and uh, brings us to Jesus Christ, uh, but if we say that there is no God, uh, our belief system is completely up in the air and we could believe anything. Right. And if there's no God, there's no sin. There's no sin. There's no need for a saviour. Jesus is out of a job. <laughs> That's right. And when we talk about morality, the way that we understand that uh, we're accountable to God, uh, we have his laws written on our hearts. Uh, but of course, if we have no, none of that, we have to be ruled by someone who's going to make a lot of rules that are going to keep us contained and and uh, use muscle to actually keep us under control. Yeah, the government and the police will keep us under control if we're not going to actually have the law of God written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are so many issues and we're running out of time. I wanted to ask you about uh, any of the special events, uh, the special uh, focuses that you might have with Creation Ministries through the coming year. Uh, for some respects, uh, you know, you've got a team of guys. Uh, they're all uh, going around the co- the country and internationally as well. And you've got you've got all of this sort of stuff happening. I imagine there's more of the same, but perhaps on a bigger scale. Well, we we have our documentary, Evolution's Achilles Heels, which I mentioned a while ago. Uh, it's going to be shown widely this year and has a huge impact, has a great gospel message comes through. It's uh, 15 PhD scientists are interviewed, and fantastic animations. It's uh, eight chapters. Uh, there's a little summary at the end of each chapter. There's a study guide available for it for people can use in home groups and church groups and so on, uh, schools, universities. Uh, it's a fantastic production by our American Sister Ministry, actually. And uh, so that's a wonderful thing that's happening this year. We've also got uh, next month, our uh, Dr. Jonathan Safady has written an 800-page uh, commentary on Genesis 1 to 11. And this is just incredible, 
absolutely incredible and people i think will find this a fantastic resource uh, this is a guy who is uh, a significant intelligence, if I might compliment him that way, because he's the guy who can play about six people uh, uh, in chess. Uh, and, that's uh, a, do- a dozen. And, uh, he's, oh, a, he's, a dozen. Okay. A dozen. He's blindfolded, <laughs> and they're all sighted, and he plays twelve people at a time blindfold chess. But not that. Not that that makes him an expert <laughs> in the Bible. Yeah. But he's a Hebrew Christian, and uh, and he's incredibly well. Uh, skilled and informed about these things. Uh, you mentioned uh, Evolution's Achilles Heels, uh, DVD and a book. Yeah. You are one of the contributing scientists. I, I am. I'm one of one of the 15 on the DVD and one of the nine who contributed to the book. So the book is actually has a lot more information, obviously, than a d- hour and a half documentary. Uh, the book is is just fa- every every student going to university should read this book, and it's really written at senior high school level. So it's not something that's really beyond uh, a person of reasonable intelligence and education to understand. Uh, Your area of expertise, what do you specifically cover in the book? Uh, Well, being a biologist, I deal with the first chapter, which is uh, Darwin's concept of natural selection and how that's fared over the years. Uh, And of course, he didn't invent the idea. He plagiarised it, but that's another story. And that, of course, is called Evolution's Achilles Heels, uh, the documentary on DVD and also the book that is available. And I guess you can get those when you go online at creation.com. And you can also access all of those free articles, uh, 8,000 plus fully searchable articles on all aspects of creation and evolution. Our guest this hour, Dr. Don Batten from Creation Ministries and uh, enjoyable conversation. We'll do this again sometime very soon, Don, because uh, these important issues need to be tackled uh, on a regular basis. And uh, Don Batten, just want to thank you for being part of 2020 today. It's a pleasure, Neil. Good to be with you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.